0: Welcome to the Two Rivers Cafe podcast, where this week we're clearing away the tables and chairs to make room for a big old dance to celebrate the final episode of our first series. I am your host, Andrew Fisher, and when I'm not mixing cocktails behind the bar, I am a composer and lyricist, and I take a huge pleasure in collaborating musically with others. In this podcast, I talk to some very talented people and then work with them to create a brand new piece that will play at the end of the episode. Will it always work? Let's find out. I'm delighted to be joined today by Helen Gentile, who is a folk performer who specialises in wind instruments. Specifically, she plays the clarinet, the tin whistle and the bombard. Helen has played across many folk festivals internationally, she plays with the folk band Throppeny Bits and Monkey See, Monkey Do, and in a duo with Lewis Wood. If you get a chance to see any of these groups, please do. They're absolutely fantastic, high energy, loads and loads of fun, brilliant performances. Let's hear her in action. Welcome to the Two Rivers Café podcast.
1: Thanks for having me,
0: Andy. How are you? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm enjoying getting back into playing live after we've had such a long break. We had a very exciting year with Monkey See Monkey Do this year, um, doing some festivals for the first year. And yeah, looking forward to just playing more live gigs.
0: Well, that sounds very exciting. So the clip we heard at the start was you playing the Bombard, this... Breton instrument um I've seen one and it looks like an oboe that's just been squished it's it's like a squashed oboe with a it's quite short and it's got what looks like quite an enormous bell at the end and um and it, it's very loud it sounds like a, a duck but tell, tell us I'm sorry that's being tell us more about it is it got a large range is it always just loud
1: so it does have a reputation for being a very loud instrument, but it's very dependent on how much air you put through the thing. Right. Um, <laughs> the more air you put through, the louder it will be. Right. Um, t- traditionally, bombards were played in pairs because it, it does require a lot of air. So when one bombard player ran out of air, then the other one would take over. And you end up with this effect in Breton music, uh, which is called tuilage tiling. So they they layer over the top hey. of each other um, and they, they layer the phrases. It's a whip instrument slightly bigger than a recorder, six holes on the front, uh, made of wood. And it does have one metal key on the bottom and a double reed on the top, just like an AB. So yeah, it does sound a bit like a duck, um, <laughs> but I'll try not to make it sound too
0: duck-like for the recording. And so now we know. And how did you first discover it?
1: I had the pleasure of going to Brittany as part of my studies at university. Um, I did French at university and I had the opportunity to live abroad for a year. So I chose to go to Brittany because I'm really interested in folk music mm-hmm. and I thought it would be a really interesting place to go to and to do some research on Breton folk music. So I decided when I went over to learn a Breton folk instrument, so I went to the um, Celtic Circle in Rennes and asked to have some bombard lessons. Um, so that's sort of where that all started, really.
0: Um, and of course you play other things, the clarinet and the tin whistle. Do you have a favourite?
1: So I definitely... I'm a clarinetist, first and foremost. I've always loved the clarinet. From a very young age, there was a lady at my church when I was about seven who played the clarinet. And I remember saying to my parents, oh, I really like to play that instrument. So um, I'm very much a clarinetist, but I, I do dabble and I, I'm getting quite into the tin whistle this year. That's, that's quite good fun as well.
0: I'm really hoping we'll, we'll get all three on our collaboration. What, what is it that drew you to folk music?
1: So I really love the collaborative aspect of it. When I was at sixth form college, that was when I really started to get into folk music because one of my friends, Alex Cumming, he by the way is a fantastic accordionist, and his sister Hannah Cumming, again fantastic musician, a violinist, they were running a folk club and they taught all the tunes by ear, which was something I'd never done before, but I found it to be a really interesting way of learning and I found that I was listening more to the people around me. And then when we played together, when we performed together, it really felt like we were connecting with the other people in the ensemble. And I thought, I love this. I'm going to go to some folk festivals, went to some folk festivals. Um, I think I w- went to Sidmouth uh, Folk Festival in in, in Devon and um, just really enjoyed that kind of atmosphere of people dancing together, playing music together, making something really nice together. Um, so that really appeals to me. And that's one of the reasons why I really love folk music.
0: So, Helen... Talk me through how a musician can get involved. Do you need to know the tunes already?
1: So in the beginning, um, I learnt most of the folk tunes from other folk musicians um, at sessions. So sessions are like jam sessions, I suppose. In, In the folk world, we just call them sessions. And we meet up in pubs, usually, and share tunes. And after a while, I began to notice that in different sessions, the same tunes would cycle round. And so eventually you end up with a bit of a catalogue of tunes.
0: And with with Breton music particularly, you've told us how you've come to go there. Did you hear some Breton music before you went? Um, And and I suppose the second question is, what is it about Breton music that draws you?
1: So a few friends had told me about Festnaz in Brittany. So Festnaz means night festival. It's basically, it's a folk dance, um, which happens in the evening, um, a bit like English Cayley or Irish or Scottish Cayley dancing, except that the dances are all from Brittany. Right. I'd heard some Breton music before going over, and I'd been told about some of these instruments that are found in Brittany, such as the Bombard. And I thought, oh, I've, I've got to go and investigate. So when I went over, I, d- I um, went to lots of these kind of events, Fest um, and I tried to talk to the the musicians who were um, involved in, in these events and I just found it com- completely fascinating and I thought it would be really um, a good thing to do to understand the music better, to, to learn some of it myself. So that's why I started to learn the Bombard and it's it's been yeah really interesting and has actually quite informed my own compositions of tunes.
0: And, and what are the characteristics of Breton folk music?
1: So it's quite short phrases, quite repetitive, and usually not too much of a range of notes, and the notes are quite close together. Generally, because of the instruments that they were traditionally played on, these tunes. So there's a there's the binu, which is the Breton bagpipe, which is played en couple or in a duo with the bombard traditionally mm-hmm. in some parts of Brittany. And then the other regions of Brittany have their own kind of uh, musical instrument traditions. So you have you'll find different sort of um, instrumental lineups in different areas. You'll also find different dances come from different areas. So, for example, you've got the plin, uh, which is very much about stamping your feet on the ground uh, because traditionally this dance was used in agriculture to flatten things in agriculture. And then you'll have the the costaquat, which is a really fun dance. It's all about generally the men showing off to the women, um, traditionally, but it can (laughs) can be danced by anyone. Um, I actually learnt the the steps because it looked really fun and the tunes are very bouncy and, and quite fun as well. So you get all these different traditions for different purposes.
0: I could happily disappear down a French folk rabbit hole. But let's talk about what we're going to work on together. The producers, Jim and Rupert, have sent us three possible themes to collaborate around. Cue sound of expensive gold envelope being opened. Here we are. Season of mists. The Bonfire or All Hallows Eve. Helen, which of these autumn-themed ideas gets your creative synapses firing?
1: I think the bonfire appeals to me because I'm kind of imagining sort of the flames kind of flickering and just the colours of of the fire and maybe people sitting around it socializing. It kind of links back to some of the reasons why I really like making music is is this idea of collaboration. And, of course, we're going to be collaborating. So these people sitting around the bonfire together, making music together as one, kind of really appeals to me. I'm also imagining the sort of smells and sights that you get around the bonfire, perhaps the the smoke coming off um, and maybe people tasting marshmallows and just nice atmosphere.
0: There is something about the energy and colour and um, power and unpredictability of fire, isn't there? That that It it flickers in unrepeated patterns and there's an element of danger about it there's something unsafe about fire for all its ability to bring light and warmth it can also be destructive and harmful and then, and that's quite interesting isn't it this this there's something um primal and unsafe at the same time as all this energy and 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 things to be drawn to
1: mm, i think that's quite relevant uh, particularly linked to the bombard I mean, um, my, my friends in 3 Bit uh, teased me about about this because the bomb. So the bombard is a very innocent-looking instrument. It looks like a recorder with a double reed on it, um, but its sound is so powerful and loud. Um, it's very much the volume of a bagpipe, so I think um, having that element of danger is actually quite apt.
0: <laughs> very good. So this is the, fi- the sound of fire. Okay, so Helen is now going to go and compose something wonderful as the inspiration for my part of the collaboration. Literally anything could happen. Stay with us back soon. One calendar week has passed in real time. And after three days, Helen sent me some really astonishing work. I was thrilled by what she sent. Um, Here is a taste I was completely knocked out by what you did. There was loads to like there. Uh, In terms of what you offered, it was extremely generous. What were you thinking when you created that? What was going through your mind?
1: So you gave me the prompt words, the bonfire, and I kind of just imagined this setting in sort of November time, perhaps everyone gathered around a campfire, playing tunes, socialising, and just enjoying each other's company. And I remember you saying about the uneven kind of rhythm of the flames flickering a tune idea just came to me and it ended up being in seven but not really very consciously so I so I wrote this tune on the b-flat whistle the tin whistle um, and then I played it on the bombard and sort of mucked around with it a bit um, and recorded it on a few different instruments for you and that's the the result that we have and then I'm sure you've done something amazing to it to to elevate it so I'm really excited to hear what you've done to it too.
0: It always blows my mind when I speak to a multi instrumentalist because the, you know each instrument has its own discipline, its own approach, and the fact that you, you seem to be a, a master, yes, very accomplished to all of them. I was just like, wow, it was so, it was so good.
1: Well, that's very kind of you.
0: The energy um, and the goodwill really, really communicated itself to me. I was like, oh, this is really fantastic. So I, I was very quick to be inspired by that. I, I it's, and that's that's really it's a really lovely moment when I think wow okay all all the creative um ideas are really flowing straight away um and so I knew what I would do but tell me more about um so the material so you've got a a tune and and it's interesting in seven what's interesting about seven eight is um it's it's fairly common in film music and and I think it was really put on the map by Bernstein in um Chichester Psalms in the first movement and in Dave Brubeck, and they tend to subdivide it into rhythms which go one two one two one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one So if you watch any kind of action thriller from the 90s onwards, you'll hear that dun, 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 as the hero drives off in the car. But you did one two three one two one two one two three one two one two. 2, Were you aware of that, of saying, right, I'm not going to do the sort of most obvious idiomatic thing?
1: Actually, I wasn't really very aware of what I was doing when I was composing. It's a very, for me anyway, it's it's a very unconscious process where I, I get inspired and I have an idea and then I, right. I play it usually on the whistle right. and then sort of analyse it afterwards. Um, so I wasn't even really a, aware that I was writing it in seven until I then thought about it and counted it and thought, oh yeah, that's in seven. So it was quite a curious thing.
0: Yeah. So th- that was a really interesting insight about creativity as well that there's what I think are kind of a splurge well, I call it splurging and editing um, and there's a sort of unconscious thing at the start and then there's a point where you, you switch on the analytical brain and then look at what you've done later hmm. do you find that yourself?
1: Very very much so yes um, it's it's a very it doesn't happen that often to have a sort of creative moment but when it does I immediately need to sing it and record my idea or pick up a tin whistle and just play it through and, and my, my phone is kind of littered with audio recordings of just bits of inspiration which I might pick up later so it's very much that. Um, but it's interesting because I wrote a tune in five uh, before, but uh-huh. that was a very conscious decision. Um, I'm going to write a tune in five. And I think you heard it when, uh, when you came to that Three Finny Bit concert yes. um, where we met, actually. Yeah. But, um, but uh, th- this time it was very unconscious. It was very much um, just embracing the kind of idea of the bonfire and the kind of element of uncertainness, element of danger, the f- sort of flickering of the flames in all directions. And I guess maybe that's where that came from.
0: Something else I noticed about your material was that there's a sort of what I've called it A, not very Im- imaginatively, material that da 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 that never stops. So it has this constant energy and again amazing breath control. Because I, I was like, where is she breathing? It's not that's not physically possible. Um but then then you had this really nice contrasting B section. And that that um underlined something that I've noticed a lot about all creative work. And the principle is this, contrasts map onto form that there's, when you bring in a new section, there is some kind of contrast that's going on, whether the tune goes high or the harmonies change or something. And and you, you moved into a very interesting thing because like you moved from a sort of one bar phrase, pattern to a two-bar phrase pattern and and then the rhythm sort of went into 15, so eight plus seven. And that was again, I just loved that. I thought it was it was really fantastic because you throw it off kilter like a fire does where there's a crack or there's something like that. Um again was that did that just come out of the flow or did you think, okay, I've got a and now I better do something different.
1: Um yeah, it very much came from the flow. It was very unconscious again. Um but I, I knew that I wanted this general vibe of not exactly danger, but but when, when you sit around a fire, it's a nice thing, um, but it is, it is also dangerous. So I was kind of trying to embrace the chaos um, a little bit there.
0: I think you, you captured it wonderfully. Uh, something else in your recording, it starts off um, with this a series of advanced flute techniques. And when I heard it, I was like, what is that? It was really extraordinary.
1: So that was flute tapping. I held up the flute to the microphone and uh, tapped the flute keys. Um, and this is this is often used in uh, modern music, actually, in orchestras. Uh, when you have the whole of the flute section doing it, it's it's really very effective. Um, sometimes it's on specific notes, sometimes it's on random notes. Um, and I, I did it with a sort of semi-regular, semi-irregular kind of pattern. So I've recorded two tracks of flute tapping. But in the end, I ended up only using one of them, which I reversed and put on top of the original one and then sort of faded it in and faded it out. So it was sort of evoking this kind of popping and crackling kind of percussive sound. And actually having it play backwards on top of the original uh, was quite interesting because you've got these kind of cracks and pops, which were the reverse of putting your finger on a key, sort of slamming it down. It had the same kind of attack as if you were lifting your finger up from the key. Um, and so I found that quite interesting, and it was quite fun to do as well.
0: Let's have a quick listen just to that effect. Brilliant. When you're developing material, um, we've we've talked about the flow, but another question is, do you find yourself playing certain patterns or are you thinking very consciously let's outline B flat major moving to E flat major or are you just playing a line and not thinking about harmonic choices at all? What, how does your brain work? Do you, do you play and you just keep playing until you've got something um, or does something like like we're, we're meant to believe about Mozart just emerge whole and complete?
1: So usually when I think of tunes I like to compose them on the D whistle I find it quite Quite exciting to do it on the D whistle because it's a diatonic instrument, so it doesn't have all of the sharps and flats that you might have on a clarinet or a flute, for example. And I find that limitation actually—it um, sort of feeds into the creative process. You find your fingers doing particular things, perhaps incorporating modes or pentatonic scales, which you might not have otherwise done if you had the full range of choice of all the chromatic keys. Um, so that's that's one aspect of of while like composing on the tin whistle. And for this particular tune, I chose the the B-flat whistle, which is slightly longer and sounds slightly deeper, uh, because I thought composing in the key of B-flat major would be quite handy uh, for playing it on the bombard, which is also in B-flat major. So there was that. And then in terms of the structure, when I'm composing uh, generally folk tunes, they, they tend to have a certain structure where they have eight bars, which is repeated for the A section, followed by eight bars, which are repeated for the B section. So I generally follow that form. And... Curiously, a lot of my tunes seem to come out um, sounding quite, quite Breton or Breton influenced. Um, in that they have uh, quite short phrases, and it's usually quite rhythmic, sort of linked to dancing.
0: As in, there's a repeated rhythm that that, that becomes the sort of focus of the piece. That that, that rhythm comes back and back and back, and that part, forms part of the rhetoric of the music.
1: Yes, yeah, that exactly. Sort of links to what the dancers uh, potentially might be doing.
0: Interesting. As I say, I, I absolutely loved what you sent me. I thought it captured the warmth, the joy of a bonfire, um, and I could imagine myself, you know, being round a bonfire and and the big public ones uh, are really kind of a special event. You know, when you're in, in amongst a crowd, and um, that can be very yeah, something very spirit lifting about it. Yeah. Um, when I heard it, I thought she's got so much, you know, sort of life and joy here, and and I, I thought what can I bring to this that's not here already? And so my my contribution was, I was thinking about sort of the danger and more. more So I was imagining in Inferno, occasionally if you're near Mm a fire, it, it can get too hot and it can be, it can suddenly flare up in a way that's slightly frightening. And so I thought, let's add that kind of stuff to this. So that can contrast again to the form. So, I was thinking I'll bring some of of that to it. So it might be quite interesting now to have a listen to it. So this is what I did.
1: Wow I love it it's so good it sort of reminds me of like some sort of medieval party or kind of that bit from Tangled where they're they're having a sort of celebration at the end uh, when the you know the long lost princess returns and
0: oh that's that's high praise
1: it's lovely yeah
0: thank you that's very kind do you hear what I mean about the um the inferno kind of thing that there's a sort of going moving away in terms of material um in the middle section to sort of then come back so there's there's a sort of a journey.
1: It, it's very uh, sort of evocative of like different images. And I'm just sort of imagining some sort of element of danger there. Um, like, for example, if there's something in the fire, you know, p- perhaps like a, a stray dragon's egg that no one's noticed. And, uh, and then this, it sort <laughs> yes. of suddenly cracks and opens and then this dragon comes out and, and then it's okay because it, everyone's a bit scared and then it sort of flies away and then it's all, all nice again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very evocative of different imagery.
0: I, I love how... We, we tend to respond all the time visually to things, and how, how music can create images and stories.
1: I'm kind of picturing this kind of medieval feast, and perhaps a homecoming, some sort of regal homecoming. Um, but th- this is sort of my interpretation of your work, so it's quite it's quite interesting. Sort of what, what I'm taking from it. it might not be necessarily what you intended, but it's it's seems like quite sort of a yeah like a medieval party almost. It, it was that like what you were sort of thinking when you were were creating it.
0: I know what you mean. Um, I had a chat with one of the producers of this, um, Rupert, and he was saying it made him feel Christmassy. And I think there's mm. a kind of um, musical, <laughs> I wonder if there's a musical language about celebration. Um, I, I think it was very inherent in what you were doing. And I was really trying to tease that out as well. Um, and and to, to to play with the variations as well. Um, but there's something about the kind of, I think the chord sequences and the way that counter melodies can work as well towards the end of the arrangement I was sticking in some slower tunes to work against your faster one because we're hearing it all the time and I was trying to think what how else can can come out of this I also pushed a little bit of a hoedown there's a little bit of a hoedowny kind of thing for about eight bars so I was wondering did I push that too hard did you feel it strayed away from the festivity
1: no I loved it from start to finish okay. I, I really did it was like as if I'd you know, drawn a picture and and you you kind of coloured it in and then drawn a bit more and it was just sort of you really really added to my, to, to my team and and just made something wonderful. Well, th-
0: thank you. I mean, for me, it's very much the fruit of collaboration because you know I, I couldn't do what I did without what with what you started with, and so it's I think it's very much oh that's a great offer, that's a great offer. Um, something I I really wanted us to do would would was to actually work on this together in the same room. That, that I, I wanted to sort of come back to you and say how about this how about this um and then to, for, for us to have more of a ongoing dialogue because we're doing this remotely there was a you handed it to me and then I, i've done this and i'm but I, I can see the more we would do that the more interesting it could get in terms of um the, the other ideas yeah. that you know if we start to think about dragons and or christmas you know <laughs> then then there, there could be some really interesting stuff to to run with who knows i might develop it into a um bombard concertino.
1: <laughs> why not it's always got to be a first one.
0: <laughs> do you consciously work on your voice, as in to sound like Helen Gentili? Are you thinking, right, this is what I tend to do? do you, are you aware of that, or do you just play?
1: It's an interesting question. So, I think I do have a particular way of playing. Um, so, I and I feel like I've developed. specific way of of playing Um, so for example uh, on the clarinet uh, particular ornaments that I would use in the beginning it wasn't really a conscious thing but now I'm more aware that it's to imitate the kind of sound of a violin or a tin whistle which have specific ornaments I have these choices do I try and exactly reproduce the sounds that I would get if I did this ornament on the tin whistle or do I do the exact same fingering that I would do on the tin whistle or do I kind of find something that that is a nice fingering on the clarinet which has the effects that i'm after um, and so generally i kind of invent my own way of doing things
0: how interesting that the um the actual technical capacity of an instrument guides sort of voice choices it rhymes um, <laughs> that there's something about the the physical you know the, the physical creation of the instrument that the limits inherent in the structure of the of the machine lead your choices
1: yeah and that, that's why I love composing on the tin whistle because often I find uh, ornaments that, that, uh, that work on the tin whistle which I wouldn't wouldn't have occurred to do uh, on it wouldn't have occurred to me to do them on the clarinet uh, because I have all of the keys to choose from and so I don't necessarily need to make compromises whereas I would on a diatonic instrument.
0: So what a great insight so maybe that is something else to think about as one develops one voice is try it in a different way try it Try the same tune on a different mm. instrument and see where that leads, what, what that leads to. That's a very interesting thought. Um, well, on that note, it's. I think it's time to wrap up. I'd like to say an enormous thank you to Helen Gentili, who um, is a multi-instrumentalist, even more than I knew. So flute, clarinet, several clarinets, bombard, tin whistle, sings. Anything else interpretive dance?
1: Well, a little bit. working on that one
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's been an absolute joy thank you so much i'm so i'm so delighted with what you've created and i'm so delighted with what we've made together so let's have a listen all the way through to the bonfire written by helen gentile and me andrew fisher and once again huge thanks to helen for being such a brilliant guest and such a creatively inspiring person thank you helen
1: thank you for having me
0: Thanks for joining me in the Two Rivers Cafe and thanks to Helen Gentili for her sterling work on the Bombard, Flute, Clarinet and Tin Whistle and for being a thoroughly excellent guest. You can find out more about Helen and the group she plays in by following the links in the description of this episode. This is also the place to discover more about my work as a composer and Man About Town. My name is Andrew Fisher and this episode of the Two Rivers Cafe podcast was produced remotely but with appropriate diligence by Jim and Rupert of Driver 8. This is the final episode in this first series. Thanks to all of the guests who've helped the series be hugely enjoyable to make. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as well. All episodes remain available, so do feel free to binge. Look out for a couple of special episodes in the next few weeks before the Two Rivers Cafe podcast returns early in the new year. In the meantime, please tell anyone you think might like it about the podcast and remain stummed to those who might not. Thanks for listening. And now, who fancies a banana daiquiri? See you at the bar.